Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And Carissa. Not hot in spite of being a geek, but because of it. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys. Hey everybody. This is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And we are the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than the human race not being a dick to itself or destroying the planet. Hooray! That's pretty lucky. (laughs) It's very lucky. And we are being brought to you by Stitcher and Podbean, also uh, through the courtesy, obviously, of the Bearded Pods Network. That's beardedpodsnetwork.com, featuring not only us, but the lucky... <laughs> the lucky <10,000. laughs> Not only us, but also us. What is my problem today? <laughs> not only us, but Teddy and the Baseman and the Bearded Ones comedy podcast. We are also featured on two networks, and usually I say them first before I get to Bearded Pods Network, but... Today, a little sadness goes along with this announcement. There's the Tangent Bound Network and Musings of a Geek, which we have just learned uh, yesterday, actually, is having to shut down. That's sad. It is very sad because they were one of the first networks to get both us and the Bearded Ones podcast. And they've always been super supportive. Got a lot of great shows on there. We're sorry to see them go. We loved being a part of them, but things have to change. Well, understandably, I believe the curator is moving on to bigger and better things. Yes. So that's good for him. So it's a it's definitely a positive. It is definitely a positive. But the negative is their podcast because there's amusing to be geek podcast. That's what started their whole network is going to be no more along with the network itself. So yeah, thank you guys so much for all your support and adding us to the network. And we wish you all the best of luck. Definitely. Also. I got to show for myself a little bit. Again, just look my name up on Audible because I just had another book added today. Evan Harris, E-V-A-N-H-A-R-R-I-S. If you love the sultry tunes of my voice. And who doesn't? Who doesn't? I mean, really. I I have a separate set of headphones recording this podcast live so it can be shot back directly into my ears. So I'm getting myself in stereo as we speak. Usually when you're talking, I'm just thinking about when is Evan going to talk again? <laughs> I think that's pretty much everybody that listens to the podcast, honestly. <laughs> no, I seriously doubt that. How about you've got a growing fan base of, of geeky dudes in absolute love. To message young males or yeah, something. <laughs> who are terrified to message you. <laughs> Don't be terrified. I'm not scary. Oh, God. You say it like that, you're going to get some messages. Yeah, no dick pics. There was a little sensuality in there. Oh, pfft. Too late. You're a woman in public. You're going to get dick pics. Well, I know. No more dick pics. No, unfortunately, the way the world works, you can't stop that. I know. One more thing I would like to mention. Um, last week, we had a really heartfelt intro featuring uh, us obviously talking about the celebrities that had passed on that had really affected us. And I've heard something since then that I want to kind of give a shout out to. Not that Kevin Smith needs more support because God knows his podcast network is one of the biggest on the planet. But if you want to hear a beautiful remembrance and a very heartfelt uh, mention of Alan Rickman, uh, go and listen to his most recent Smodcast episode because he talks in depth about what the man meant to him about their friendship post-dogma, because apparently they stayed friends. And it's, I mean, he cries, and that's not necessarily that big of a deal, because he has admitted he cries at everything, but it made me cry. 
I may have to wait on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of hard, but I also kind of felt like it helped me a little bit too in a weird way. But yeah, the things he says about the man, the kind of person he was are are beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. But go on, let's let's start things. Let's get away from the negative and the sad and go to the positive. What are we talking about today, Carissa? Okay, so last week we talked about robots. Yes. And how cool robots are, but also how terrifying they might possibly be. Well, I was definitely for once on the positive side of things, and you were certainly, for the most part, not. Yeah, trying to scare the shit out of you, basically, is what I was doing. Well, you did. Thanks. Good. Yeah, no but problem. I still, want, I still want a robot buddy. I'm sure that you do. But this week, I was tipped off by a kind of a resurgence of a Tumblr post that I had seen umpteen thousand times, but it came across my eyes yesterday and reminded me of how cool it was. So I figured we would do kind of maybe the flip side of that. And talk about how awesome human beings are. Yeah, and this is coming from two people that have said on several occasions, we don't like people. No, this isn't like how, how great people are. It's how great homo sapiens are as a species. Oh, yeah, fuck people. Basically, it started out as this Tumblr post said, I want to see a sci-fi universe where we, humans, are actually considered one of the more hideous and terrifying species. <laughs> Well, and that is the funny thing, with the exception of Star Trek, and that is a big exception, because Gene Roddenberry's whole point was making a very positive future for humans that shows all our positives and how all our positives sort of rise to the top of our race. Most sci-fi, especially now, and it kind of has always been that way, though. You look back, you know, the day the Earth stood still, or even a trip to the moon, they fucking, you know, bullseye the moon in the face and the eye. Right. You know, it's always been like, yeah, we're smart enough to make this shit, but the fact that, that we're making it is going to be our downfall. You know, humans are going to fuck up somehow, and that's what's going to be the end of the planet, of the race, of the universe, of... Everything. Everything, yeah. Right. And there's definitely a case to be made for that, but it seems like, you know, dystopian future has become... Just sort of expected when you see sci-fi these days. And it always stems from humanity's need to appeal to its baser instincts. Well, and part of it is that all of our kind of off-world, our extraterrestrial science fiction is always about how powerless and weak we are in the face of these advanced civilizations. Right. But there is something to be said for what if we're not powerless and weak in the face of these advanced civilizations? What if we terrify them because we're actually fucking awesome? Well, and you know, the thing is, I think a lot of people assume that based on UFOs because they think, okay, well, if UFOs have ever come to Earth, then the species that made those ships would have to be so far beyond our capability for reasoning and advancement in technology to even travel that kind of a distance. They must be better than us in every way. But who's to say there's not a planet out there, several of beings that are maybe us, evolutionarily speaking, a few genera- a few million years before where we are now. Well, but not only that, but yeah, okay, maybe they have super advanced space travel technology, but what if they didn't, what if they're vegetable people? Like, what if they didn't yeah. evolve in the same way that we did? What if they didn't have to deal with the same kind of pressures that we if did? If we ever land on the planet of Veggie Tales, I'm going to say nuke the fucking thing right then and there. And that's why we could be terrifying to them. So I've compiled a list. Some of it is taken from that Tumblr post, which people may or may not have seen if they've ever seen things from Tumblr. And a bunch of other stuff that I've either 
because this isn't the only time I've thought about this topic that I've either compiled over time or have sat down and talked with my friends about sure. or just kind of looked up and found. Of course, you are absolutely welcome to chime in with things you think humans are awesome at and why oh, I shall. we would be terrifying to aliens or why maybe we sell ourselves short sometimes. Excellent. And goo. All right. So the first one's kind of just funny. We eat capsaicin for fun. What is capsaicin? A uh, pepper. Oh. It's technically poison. Yes. And peppers evolved to be too hot, too poisonous to eat. That very spice that is their way of survival right. is why we now grow them on purpose so that we can consume their flesh. Yeah, fuck you, evolution. You didn't stop us from making our fries a little better. Right. So we eat poison for fun. Yeah, we sure do. That's pretty hardcore. Damn straight, it's hardcore. I mean, there are definitely levels that we can't go to. But yeah, fuck yeah. pepper. Yeah, fuck pepper. But we don't do it to get high. Like, it's not a recreational drug. No. It's just flavor. It's just spice. Because nutrition isn't enough for us. Right. Which is pretty cool. I think that's incredible. Go us. We eat yeah. pepper. We eat pepper. So that starts small, but it's still, I mean, that's pretty hardcore if you just walked into a room. Think of it if you walk into a room and there's another dude. Right. And he's just chewing on cyanide. Right. Just for the hell That'd of it. Badass. He's like, that tastes good. What? Would that not kind of freak you out a little bit? A little. Okay. But it'd be pretty badass. It too. would be pretty badass. It's like the Princess Bride when he tricks uh, What's-His-Face. Yes, Because exactly. he developed a, an immunity to it. That's right. Although, don't listen to this podcast. Just legal disclaimer. Don't listen to this podcast and then go into that Asian restaurant you've always wanted to try and order the whole blowfish. Oh, no. Mm -mm. You won't fare well. No, that's true. That is very true. Okay, so there's... We can keep fighting even after you shoot us or cut off parts of our bodies. Very true. And you would think in most cases... That would be, I mean, look at fucking what, 127 hours. Look at what that guy did. Right, exactly. And we're not the most hardy of creatures on our planet. No. But we're well above average. We are. You know, that's the thing. It's, it's very interesting. In fact, you know, this kind of feeds into it. I just saw The Revenant the other day. I'm going to tell you right now, yes, it is just a movie, but I don't know if you know what that movie's about. It's about Leonardo DiCaprio getting his ass handed to him for two and a half hours. For an Oscar. For an Oscar. Okay. And he gets his ass handed to him for two and a half hours. But, you know, there's nothing that happens to him that's absolutely beyond the realm of possibility of human survival. He sure. lucks out a few times. I'm not going to lie. But there are stories of people going through so many things. And it, it really occurred to me how, in some cases, yes, we are very fragile. You know, shot to the head, boom, we're gone. And not always, though. Not necessarily. Yeah, there are the stories about people being shot in the head or like having a railroad spike jammed through their head or being shot with a yeah. nail gun in the head and learning to speak different languages. Yeah. And that's actually kind of on my list a little bit later. So I'll just bring it up now. We have this amazing cognitive recuperation ability. Our neural pathways reconstruct in ways mm -hmm. that I don't think we have found duplicated in other brains, mm -hmm. in the brains of other species, that is. Right. And I'm sure that that's not unique to us, but because our cognitive capabilities are so vastly greater than basically all the other cognitive capabilities of the other life forms on this planet, that's pretty incredible because coupled with our extreme intelligence, add to that the ability to repair damage done to that brain. Right. That's 
pretty incredible. And the interesting thing to me about that, the interesting thing to me about the human brain in general and the fact that it has the ability to do that now, that is after billions of years of evolution. Let's just say the Earth survives for another couple of billion years, which, you know, obviously the sun's going to explode at some point. But think of where we'll be at that point. Yeah. Because it's just going to keep finding new ways to survive. That's the point of evolution. So just imagine how much more our brains are going to be able to do. Because everyone always talks about the brilliance of our brains and expanding our intelligence. But just even look at that aspect of it, how it's going to be able to repair itself or, or find new ways to relay messages. It's fascinating. Uh, and it already does all that. Yeah. All by itself. I mean, it, there is absolutely a way to damage a human oh, being yeah. and their brain beyond recovery. That's no lie but the fact that it can recover from some damage absolutely and that is that is a common theme in sci-fi of the aliens come down and see us and oh you fragile little things you know oh you flesh buckets you know they're yep. just amazed at how easily we die and and get hurt but we can technically survive a lot and keep going okay so basically if you boil it down the reason human beings are terrifying in this concept is we are basically the most endurant thing that has ever been. Right. We have several advantages even here just among regular terrestrial life. We have amazing just physical endurance and shock resistance and ability to recover from injury, mm -hmm. where if you pair that same injury with another animal, chances are good they won't recover the way that we can. Right. So what that led to eventually is we are... Uh, pursuit predators or persistence predators mm -hmm. and we're one of the only if not the only pursuit predator who does it the way that we do which is basically we will just walk after you forever right you can run and if you start to slow down and we catch up we're just jogging or walking behind you right and we can follow you by figuring out, oh, that's where you took a shit. Oh, you broke that right. twig. And we can just follow you. We don't have to be behind you. We can just follow where you were. Right. And when you stop for a minute, we will eventually catch up to you and poke you with a stick, which will yes. then set you off running. But eventually, you can't run anymore. Right. And we are still coming. And we will adapt the area. We can adapt to the nature or the areas around us to suit that purpose. Exactly. We can make it kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And eventually you will either literally just fall over and die from exhaustion or you will stop because you can't continue anymore and we will catch up and poke you with a stick until we can consume your flesh. Right. And it is amazing that in this day and age, you know, we have been spoiled by the societies that have been built up around us. Yes. I wouldn't live in the woods alone for a day. No. But if that is what we had to do, we hear stories all the time of people in, in other countries that are much more native, much more close to the land or, or people that for whatever reason had survival skills already and were in a plane crash or something and spent weeks in a forest or something like that. And they came out fine because they knew the tricks to survive. The only reason you and I wouldn't is because we don't know them and we're soft now. Yeah. But if we had to, and we say from birth lived in those type of environments, we'd be kings. Well, and honestly, I don't even know that we, we couldn't survive depending largely on where we were stranded. I'm telling you right now, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might surprise yourself. I mean, that is a thing. We are nearly infinitely adaptive. And 
push comes to shove, we will recall crap we heard in our third grade science about how to filter water through a leaf or whatever. Right. And find a way to get potable water. We will know that. It might not make us thrive and build a whole new society, but it may keep us alive long enough for a rescue plane to show up. You've been watching Blue Lagoon lately, haven't you? I haven't, actually. (laughs) On top of all of that, like the fact that we're not the strongest or the fastest, no, but we don't have to be stronger than you. We don't have to wrestle you down. We just have to outlast you. And we do. Right. We outlast everything. And we can heal from like serious injury, like broken limbs or snapped bones in our spine. Like we can live from that and recover. Mm -hmm. We have hyperactive scar tissue, but that's a survival trait. Right. So it's weird, but it's actually helpful to us in that we can scar and that scarring can actually strengthen in its own way the injuries that other animals would have died from. Absolutely. And it all, and it all too, boils down to, you know, they may have obviously heightened senses beyond us, stronger than us, faster than us. You know, we talk about being able to just follow someone and hunt them into submission. I mean, wolves do that kind of thing all the time. The one thing they don't have is our capability to reason and our capability to figure out and adapt to those new situations that may spring up around us. Yeah, and do you know what we Homo sapiens did when we were faced with a a complementary predator who was in our same area? Right. We won. We didn't win. We just said, hey, uh, we'd rather not compete for food because that's just not economical. Right. Because we are also very economical. It's not good for everybody to, for us to compete for food. Why don't we hunt together? Yeah. And now they're little, they're poodles. I mean, that's what we did. Right. We adapted to that complementary predator. And instead of competing, we actually just said, hey, let's, let's pair up here. And not only that, but created new species of them just to suit our specific purposes. Yes, because it is easier to make a new type of this wolf than it is to try to make this wolf do the thing we want it to do. Like, let's just make a new wolf, a better wolf. Right. A wolf that will herd my sheep instead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Let's see. We have, slightly more humorously, we have bioweapons that we can exude from basically every orifice. Oh, yeah. I like that talk. Say the O word again. Orifice. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, those geek kids are dying right now. Right? But we do. We can fart on people or things. And in some cases, that can be relatively noxious. Absolutely. And the way that almost every form of at least vertebrate life here mm-hmm. gets rid of their waste is approximately the same. We all right. piss and shit, basically. Everybody poops. Right. But that may not be true for non-terrestrial life. Very true. Their biological waste may be removed in some completely different fashion. Right. Or reabsorbed into to their bloodstream. We have no idea. So for all we know, us shitting is like the most horrifying thing imaginable. I mean, it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody poops. Yeah, but it's not pleasant. No, but that doesn't mean that it's horrifying. But it could kill someone. Right. On another planet if they came across it. Just right. the smell. And uric acid is no joke. Like it's No. It's pretty legit. So if well, you're stomach acid, I mean it's like, you know, if you were if you were to throw up on something. Exactly. Yeah. Bile is really very corrosive and incredibly painful. We've all had those dry heaves at the end of a virus where our throats are like killing us after we're done. And we have an internal mechanism to protect ourselves from that, which is right. the overproduction of saliva. But an alien species isn't protected by saliva, so puke on one of them. 
see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Hell, the aliens and signs melted from water. What right. did puke do to them? Exactly. Let's see. <laughs> Our bites can be fatally infectious to other creatures. Absolutely. Absolutely they can. Which, for a sapient race, is potentially pretty terrifying. Yeah, well, and not, not only that, but you know, we never think about humans as having even the biggest bite pressure, but because we've got so many animals on the planet that beat us out with that. Oh, totally. If we were to apply all the strength we have in our jaw muscles, we could do some serious damage. A human being's mouth or jaw and teeth could easily rip out another being's throat. Absolutely. I mean, that's not difficult. If if you're talking about, like, say we're picturing, you know, X-Files aliens or, you know, little gray men, mm-hmm. they're pretty spindly yeah. at the joints. I could totally, probably, unless their skin was made of some sort of iron alloy, I could totally rip a throat off a gray man. Bite that thing's leg off like a peppermint stick. Right, exactly. And then chew it in front of him and spit it out with your vomit. Yeah. I mean, seriously. What do you do now, one leg? Yeah, exactly. That could be pretty scary and is kind of badass to think about that, yeah, we absolutely could get down on all fours and rip your throat out with our teeth. Well, and I saw this thing. uh, I'm so glad we're talking about this because I I actually thought this was really fascinating because, you know, I'm a big zombie movie fan. We've established that. Yeah. And, you know, there's always that moment where you're watching a zombie show or a zombie movie and they do start like ripping into somebody and you're kind of like suspension disbelief. Okay. But there was this show, what was it, The Ultimate Warrior or something like that, where they used to pair, uh, it was a really addictive show, they would take the fighting tactics and the weapons of two completely disparate cultures and pit them against each other. Oh, yes. Deadliest Warrior, that Deadliest was the name Warrior. of it. Deadliest Warrior, yep. And they did, for fun, an episode about zombies versus vampires. And one of the things that always happens in a zombie movie is somebody gets basically gutted with the zombie's bare hands, and they constructed a body that was the exact consistency of skin, blood, organs, ribs, everything of a regular human adult male. And they had three bodybuilders come in and see if they could rip it apart. And oh my God, they did. Just with their bare hands, not even using their teeth. Yeah. And I always kind of looked at that and went, it wouldn't be that easy, but you, you can do it. Absolutely. And it doesn't even take like super strength or the adrenaline rush of a woman lifting a car off her baby. That's just, we have that in us. We are kind of frail. I mean, we've talked about this before. We're we're pretty shitty in a lot of ways. Sure. Biologically. Like, it seems that way. Because it only takes, like, eight pounds of pressure to break your arm at the right. elbow and ten pounds at the knee or six and eight or something like that. And that's not much. No, not really. It is more than it sounds like. It's harder than it sounds, but it still isn't much. But we are also able to exert at least that much force. Oh, absolutely. So we we can take that damage and that damage would be bad for us, though we could still function. Right. Whereas if you snap a horse's knee. And that's not even counting, like you just said, adrenaline kicking it, right. which can count for so much in some cases. And the stronger you are, this will actually touch on another point I have, the stronger you are, if you are braced for that, the higher that number goes. Right. So if you're just kind of like asleep, that's how much it takes. And like my arm would break as easy as, I don't know, Sylvester Stallone's arm. Right. If we're both asleep. But if he's tensing, it would take a lot more to break his arm than it would to break mine. Absolutely. However, we are the only species that trains our body to exceed its own limits. Yes. No other species of animal lifts 
No, because they just need to get enough strength by doing what they do every day to accomplish what they need to do every day. We yep. are the species that goes, well, I want to do more than that. And so we weightlift and run and do all these things that we don't have to do to exist or survive or even thrive. And in order to do that, we basically rip our internal muscles apart right. and then have them heal over themselves until they're better. Yeah, like if a lion, if lions only ever had to hunt sloths, they'd be the fattest like ugliest flabbiest creatures on the planet right but they train their bodies enough just to get done and then they sleep for the rest of the day yeah 23 hours or something yeah you know i was watching something about uh, ufc and about shin kicking and they really got into the science of shin kicking in the ufc because it's a very effective tool to sort of wear your opponent down yeah but you are making shin on shin contact yeah and the way they explained it is, you know, one of the ways you can train your body to do that is by shin kicking. You know, in training, you are creating tiny fractures in your femur that then heal over, heal over. and yep. become way tougher than a normal person's. Yep. And martial artists have been doing that for like, you've ever seen them punch trees Yep. or do the sand bowls or ice bowls. Yeah. Yeah, I have. To just wreck themselves so that the scar tissue, which we've touched on before, mm-hmm. will heal over that and make it harder, make it better for its purpose. Make it faster, make it stronger. Well, yeah. We do things just to do them. Like things that risk injury and death. Oh, absolutely. Like climb Mount Everest, jump out of flying ships. Well, have you seen those like parkour people that are getting off now on going to the top of skyscrapers? Yeah. And just running around completely untethered to anything. No nets beneath them. And fuck that. Oh, yeah, totally. No, I would never. No. But we have those people. <laughs> yeah. Like we as a species are capable of that. We have those T-types that love to do really I mean, adventurous. Not like us that are terrified of heights. But those oh, guys. Yeah. Those guys. They're awesome. I mean, I get nauseous when I just watch those videos. Oh, yeah, I, I can't. It makes me very ill. But they're doing it. Yeah, they are. And that means that as a species, we are capable of that. I mean, yes, we, we, you and I could. Theoretically. But fuck no. <laughs> so there's something somebody said about our pursuit predation, mm-hmm. which is how terrifying it actually is. Because it's one thing to face down a cheetah, which will slam into you at 60 miles per hour and break your neck. And it's another thing to run very quickly to get away from a thing, only to just have it kind of show up. Mm -hmm. And so you run away and they can chase you. And then when you think you've lost it, you lay down for the night and then you wake up and there it is waiting. Right. Like, that's just... When a human being is mentally driven enough, like, because that's that's all that's really separating us, separating everyone between someone stalking them for the rest of their lives just to kill them is at some point somebody goes, oh, it's not worth it. And they kind of give up. But once someone has that insane, like fatal attraction drive. Yeah. It's pretty terrifying. Yeah. Because almost nothing can stop them. No, we're basically the Terminator. Yes. And that's pretty fucking cool. (laughs) It's awesome as long as you're not on the receiving end. Well, yeah, of course. In addition to all of that, we have what might seem to be something of a disadvantage Mm -hmm. in that our infants are of evolutionary necessity born effectively premature. Right. Because our intelligence is such that our brains are so big that our cranial capacity has to be so large that if they went to what would technically be a full term, Mm -hmm. we literally could not birth our children. Right. So we have to birth them premature, like as soon as they can possibly live outside, they have to go. 
And then they have to be very carefully cared for until they can, you know, feed themselves and move. Yeah, I think we said before on this podcast, uh, the human infant is the most helpless, defenseless creature on the planet. For the longest. Right. Um, some fresh out of the egg or womb or whatever animal babies are just as hell, like baby kittens are just as oh, helpless. Yeah. But three days from then, they're up and walking around, they're talking, they're doing shit. they have shit. claws and sharp teeth already. Exactly. And, and our babies, no, they're, they're pieces of shit for like six months. But they have to be. Right. Otherwise, we couldn't exist at all. Right. So that seems like a disadvantage because we have to be caring for these weak, tasty infants. Right. They are delicious. However, A, the reason we have these premature, weak, tasty infants is because we are so fucking smart. Right. And B, we make up for that with both our endurance in that we can still do everything that we need to do with a fucking weak, baby, tasty infant on our back. Mm -hmm. And also, we are so good at being pack mm -hmm. hunters or livers. We are so social that that's not really a disadvantage because that burden is spread so thin. Right. Biologically. Obviously, that's not as true today no. for everyone. But biologically, that's totally how that works. Yeah, we have to give birth to this shitty baby six months early or whatever. Well, and also our simple, our simple ability to procreate as much and as often as we could. Yep. Yep. We can just reproduce ourselves every nine months, really. Or right. Ten, ten months. And that's fast. Yeah, it really is. You know, especially now when, when there are so many advances in, in medical science and everything that allow people to have kids way after they probably physically shouldn't have been able to. Right. That it's it's pretty amazing that if you wanted to, I mean, fucking 19 kids and counting. Ugh. But still, they can do it. I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan of the saying that the vagina is not a clown car. No, it certainly is not. I totally agree. But it can be used for that, yes. Way back when, when, you know, infants are tasty and easy to catch. Right. So if a predator, ha one of our few predators happened to come upon an infant, it would eat it. Well, just reproduce it in nine months. You'll be fine. Right. We can just do that. Right. And I mean, every species can really do that. They can gestate. And then once they're done, they can gestate again. Right. For the most part, especially mammals. But ours are also, if they make it past their weak, tasty infant stage. Right. So much more intelligent and frightening. Yes. That that's fine. Yes. Lose a couple. You'll have six more and they'll all be four times better than any one of anything else. And they are learning everything that you've ever learned in your life, plus so much more. Yes. Every generation kind of tops the one before it in a way when you look at a kid who masters technology very early because they were born around it when you had to be instructed how to use it when you got into your teens because that's when it became available. It really shows you how quickly a child's mind can adapt and learn with almost no blockage whatsoever. Yeah, this was actually um, one of Kay's major points when we were talking about it is that our ability to absorb and disseminate knowledge and information is without peer. Right. There, There is simply nothing that is as good as we are at passing on, passing around, and enhancing our own knowledge, which is by itself immense. Right. And that's a huge advantage. And it, and it starts at a very young age. Yes. The ability to understand so much. That's why a lot of people criticize our school systems for not making, you know, lesson plans tough enough in elementary school because the capacity for knowledge is just so high at that point. Yeah. 
because as a species, again, this goes back to our endurance and our our basic inability to not do something. Right. As a species, just we just have to get it done. Right. Is that if you challenge people, by and large, they will meet that challenge. Mm-hmm. The earlier you start, the easier it is for them to do that. Absolutely. Which is true all the time. Everything you learn, everything any animal learns young, they learn better. So if you challenge young human beings early, they learn that thing faster and better. Right. And they're better able to do it later. And then they can pass that on to their children. Right. That's something we can do. Like orca whales, which I love, they're probably my favorite animal, are amazing examples of learning and knowledge dissemination mm-hmm. because pod by pod depending on where they live their methods for hunting are different right well and the same thing applies to a lot of you know studies they've been doing obviously the next closest thing to us is chimps and every time they do one of these studies on the culture quote unquote because there is a culture yeah of chimps they discover that they can learn and have learned so much more than we thought they did or could and it all does revolve around culture because one grouping of chimps may do may hunt slightly different than another because one of those chimps learned how to do it and the other ones all watched that particular chimp and then figured out, okay, well, we can do it that way. That's the most effective when another group does it a completely different way with the same result. Exactly. And then if that actually is something of a, a biological advantage, the ones who learn that better breed more. Absolutely. That's what we do. And that is culture. Yeah. And we do it better than them, but you know, yeah, it's really kind of mind-blowing to think. Every little thing you do on a daily basis is your culture. Yeah. You've learned it from somebody. I think that is kind of a downfall maybe in how we look at science fiction or what might become science fact as we continue spreading out into the universe, mm-hmm. is that we kind of put a very human-centric view of what extraterrestrial life might look like. We assume that this extraterrestrial life will have evolved in something like the same way we did. There is literally no reason to think that. Right, right. No, not at all. And that that's a failing of a lot of science fiction, though. I mean, we always want to put human terms on everything. I was just having a Star Trek conversation with Jason and the Bearded Ones comedy podcast about Voyager and how one of the reasons I couldn't get into that show is they still seemed bound by that, even though they were in the furthest reaches of the galaxy, never explored by man before. There was still a very human element at play with seemingly like everything they ran into. And again, that's a that's a philosophical thing because they always used it to sort of discuss something that was going on in the world today. So they kind of had to. Sure. But at the same time, the imagination should be able to take us so far beyond what we already know of this world and the way we act that you would think in a situation like that, that they would there would be all kinds of things that relate to us in no way whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get it if you're talking about sci-fi for an entertainment purpose. Right. The necessity of a narrative structure that your readers or your viewers can just grasp without having a whole bunch of explanation. I get it. That's a necessity, and I'm fine with it. I'm, I enjoy that quite a bit. But if you're talking about the kind of science fiction that bleeds into or leans toward or tries to influence science fact, Mm -hmm. that sort of human-centric narrative is not relevant or helpful, I don't think. I mean, I think it helps. It it only helps us be able to get our minds around it because we always sort of have to put things in human terms. Every time we see an animal behaving a certain way, we put it in human terms so we can try and understand what it's doing. Right. And it might not have that meaning at all (laughs) to the animal, but 
I think that's that is a small limitation of the human brain in that we not many of us have the capacity to go completely outside the realm of what we already understand. Well, yeah, and I think the the best way to kind of visualize our lack of ability to visualize that is that there are colors we can't see. Right. And there's no way for us to try to explain what those colors might look like because right. we can't see them. So we have no frame of reference for that. I get it. How do you explain a light spectrum that you can't see? We have no way of doing that. There, no. There is literally no way to make that concept actually graspable. But the evolution of the brain at some point could get us to the point where we either see that or are able to quantify it and clarify it. I mean, I think, honestly, if that's ever going to happen, it's going to be an external technological advancement, like some sort of glasses or contacts that interface well, you know, they've already got glasses that can allow colorblind people to see the colors in the spectrum that we already know. Right. And all it's going to really, I'm not all, all it's going to take, like, what the hell are you doing this already? Science. Come on now. Yeah. Get on the ball. All it's going to take is to make glasses that see spectrums we don't see. I mean, again, that's not an easy task to accomplish. But I think if we're going to do that, it's not going to be through a biological evolutionary alteration know, of how we process it because it's not necessary. You never know. Like there's no reason for us to evolve that really ever. I'm just going to stick with my you never know answer. If, for example, we end up being able to colonize other planets and find places that we can get to within a lifetime or two or have effective cryogenic storage for us to get there and then come back to life. And that environment would require someone who could see new spectrums of color. Right. Eventually, that might breed in. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess you never know. <laughs> but if we're talking about terrestrial ability, that'll be a technological advancement. Right. Which would be fine. Which is something, again, we can fucking do. Right. Technological advancement is something we can do. We got this shit handled. Absolutely. We're the best tool users that have ever been. We use tools to make tools that make other tools to use tools with. It's amazing. Right. I just saw a robot today on Facebook, just today, that solved a Rubik's Cube. Is it, Was it the really big Rubik's Cube robot? No. No. This was made by a student, I think, in a robotics program. Oh, neat. It was, it was about the size of... It was about the size of a loaf of bread, like because it was kind of long, too. And it just had it in the middle and worked it out? Well, it had a color scanner, so it would scan each side. Mm -hmm. One hand would flip it to the next side. It would scan that side, and it kept, flip it kept flipping all the sides and scanning them until the other hand that had been flipping them just went to work. Yeah. It was amazing. And that's what we could do. Right. We can solve a fucking Rubik's Cube Hell using yeah. a robot. In essence. That could even impress us. Like a new species, though, that we meet on a planet. It's like, look, pull out a Rubik's Cube out of our pocket. Look. Look at this. <laughs> you turn your back to him for about 20 minutes and then turn back around. Look at it now. I mean, but actually, though, that's not that far away because you can you can blow a child's mind just by playing peekaboo at a certain point in their lives because they don't understand that when you've got your face behind your hands, that your face is just behind your hands. You know, they think you're completely gone. And then all of a sudden, boop, you're back again. How did you do that? It's not that far removed to think that there are species out there that we could do that with with just the simplest things just blow their minds. I mean, the Ewoks thought C-3PO was a god. Well, yeah, I mean, the the concept of object permanence being elusive to infants is a thing about our babies being stupid until they're about six months old. Right. But that... But even when they're older, like, you show a kid a disappearing coin trick that any adult knows how it works, a five-year-old might think it's the most amazing thing they've ever seen. Yeah, limited experience plays a lot into that. But again, if you have a species that, say, has always only ever communicated telepathically... Right. 
and we communicate by moving flaps of meat with bone right. protrusions that are ex- that are basically external by vibrating air through thin cords in our neck cavern that might be really creepy oh absolutely it would and that's just to us that's just talking right that's just how we make noise but if you're a species that doesn't make noise to communicate right or have a mouth to communicate with how creepy would that be well see that's another thing that science fiction tends to do when we because there are a lot of science fiction stories about you know aliens that communicate with telepathy and when they see us in the way we communicate we put that in terms of us now because we can't do it and that might be a product of evolution millions of years down the road we always put it in perspective of their opinion of us would be oh these creatures are less than us because they have to speak you know they have to to communicate verbally but yeah what if that was something that just blew their minds yeah like bats don't communicate with sonar so much but they navigate right with sonar we don't i mean right we can a little bit in that we know where sound comes from right and can triangulate a position based on where we're going right but we don't actually navigate using that mechanism that's just not something we do and sharks can navigate using electrical impulses in the water, which we can't detect at all. Right. So that's all not exactly communication, but it is navigating the world around you in a way. And that's not primitive. No, not at all. Because honestly, I would love to be able to not like in my house because my house is full of electronics, but out in the wide world, it would be totally badass to be like, I can totally feel that fish struggling a mile away right like that would be fucking cool it would be pretty awesome so if aliens who communicate largely telepathically or through sign language or whatever but not through big open holes in their faces that lead down into their stomach cavity and flap these flappy meat curtains that oh that's not really <laughs> oh, yeah, well, i mean it's not really the euphemism i was looking for if you could talk with <laughs> that that would mean that humans have done everything like if you could use that for speech we just have to go ahead and, and say we've done everything we're gonna ever be able. <laughs> but that might be oh, scary or creepy or really fascinating like we have no way to know how that would be responded to by a species who doesn't have any real concept of speaking with a mouth. Right. And that's also like, just going back to your point about the sharks and the bats and the things, we first encounter those creatures, we assume that they're primitive and, and, and brainless and just almost, especially with sharks, automatons. But then when we find that out about them, it doesn't decrease them in our estimation. It increases them in our estimation. Exactly. That they do that. Yeah. Like, oh, they aren't quite as shitty and simple as right. we thought they were. Right. And now they're scarier. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, how come we aren't scarier? Maybe we're fucking terrifying. We would be. That alien captures us, gets us aboard the ship, assumes that we act like he does or she or it. And then as soon as we open our mouths to say, where am I? They go, (gasps) put it back, put it back, put it back, put it back. Yeah. Maybe the very fact of our sexual dimorphism is all by itself off-putting. Sure. Because if you have a race that is hermaphroditic... Which so many of them in sci-fi culture are. Exactly. So if we assume that that thought process might be accurate, and it's a hermaphroditic species, and they come to our planet, and we have sexual dimorphism, and really varied... Yeah. Unaccountable sexual dimorphism. Yeah. How do they respond to that? Because it's uncategorizable, even to us. Right. In a lot of cases. 
And by the way, side note here, just to most sci-fi, if you are looking at aliens as more evolved and better and where we should want to go, don't make them hermaphroditic because you're taking something awesome away from us by doing that. <laughs> like, I don't want to get better if that means we're not doing it anymore. Oh, yeah. Like, we're definitely not the only species that does it, that we're one of a few that participates in recreational sex. Right. And it's one of the things that allows our um, kind of more violent tendencies yeah. It curbs that. Well, going back to uh, chimps, you know, the bonobos. We've talked about this, I yep. think, personally before. Whether we've ever brought it to the show, I don't know. But the most fascinating thing about them is, you know, most people look at chimps as extremely violent, which they are and can be, and are very territorial and will rip you apart if they decide to accept bonobos. Yeah, chimps are assholes. Bonobos just fuck. Yeah. They just fuck it. Whatever it is. All the time. If they're afraid to of it. To solve arguments. They try to fuck it. If they're mad at it, they'll just try to fuck it. If they really like you, they will try to fuck it. Like every, yeah, their response like, to everything is to fuck it. That's just that's just the way they handle all of their, well, in their uh, uh, matriarchal society as well, which yep. power to the ladies. <laughs> but yeah, that's the other thing. It's like to, to solve disputes. Yep. And it's just like, well, I guess we're going to fuck. <laughs> Even just for a minute. Because it's nice. Sure. It's a much nicer way to solve things and no one usually gets hurt. It would stop disputes in the human world. It would stop disputes before they started because if I knew somebody and I was just like, oh, I hate that guy. Oh, God, do I want to? No, I'm just going to leave him alone because <laughs> there are definitely plenty of people I know that I would avoid getting into a dispute with just so we wouldn't have to resolve it that way. <laughs> but not if you were a bonobo. No, no, not at all. I wonder if any of them do begrudgingly like, oh, shit, I should not have gotten in a fight with you. <laughs> Ugh. All right, come here. Reluctant bonobo sex. That's yeah. an interesting concept. Uh, uh, okay, we're fine. Go back to work. I mean, hell, maybe sex for fun is all by itself a little weird. I, I, oh, I would definitely imagine other intelligent creatures looking at us and going, "Why are you doing that if you're not? If there's not going to be a baby coming out of there somewhere?" Maybe all evolved species will have a progressive look at sexual relations. Maybe they all just like, I mean, yeah, why doesn't everyone always have recreational sex? I don't get it. Maybe any of our... That's the evolution I want. Yeah. Maybe maybe they're all like that. Maybe the fact that we have cultural mores about monogamy or restrictive sexual relations would be weird to them as well. Who knows? Oh, well, I do think that, I mean, look at the way society is progressing as far as that sort of thing is concerned. Proclivities are concerned, becoming more and more accepted and just more and more. You know, when you really get down to it, start talking to someone about bedroom activity, you always find out that they're, well, not always, but a lot of times you find out that there's more to them than you think. And people are getting more and more comfortable revealing that because it's more and more. It is a symbol of a society that I do think is evolving that that is looked at in a much more broad way. Yeah, probably. Still have a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we definitely do. Yeah, I do. I would absolutely think that that's a sign of an evolved society. And th so this could go one of two ways in this example. Either they're a hermaphroditic or non-sexual sort of society. Boo! Or very prescriptive about sex or whatever. And the fact that we kind of just let recreational sex happen and don't really give a shit Yay. for the most part, that might be very off-putting to them. No, I could totally see that. At least in the aliens we've been presented with in right. the sci-fi that we've seen. Right. Or if they are a horribly progressive advanced civilization and they're like they come down here and like we fuck everybody all the time <laughs> and they come down here and we're all oh we're married or oh we only have sex for babies or we you know whatever our particular that particular culture's prescriptive sex norms are right that might on the flip side be just as off-putting oh absolutely i think that we largely just 
sell ourselves as a species short because we look around and we see people. Right. And people are shitty. Right. But honestly, just biologically and culturally, sociobiologically, we're pretty fucking awesome. Absolutely we are. And, you know, as as much as you and I have sort of seemed, let's say, pessimistic about humanity in general, like I said before, we don't mean humanity, we mean people. Yes, persons. We believe in the race. Totally. We just don't believe in the components of it. We are evolutionary badasses. Oh, absolutely we are. Without question. The worst of us is an evolutionary badass. No question about it. And that's pretty cool. No, it's 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 awesome. Awesome. Well, you know what I think would be badass? Hmm. Giving us a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes that we can read out on the show and you can hear your words translated from, well, not translated, but dictated directly from one of us into the radio waves and you can know that you contributed and you don't even have to say something good just as long as there's five stars attached. But you could also talk about how you're such an evolutionary badass and why. Oh, you could absolutely do that. You can give us a five-star review and then tell us everything that's great about you and we'll read it out. Like, you don't even have to mention us. Like, why should aliens be terrified of you? Five stars. Also, and you can email that as, to us as well and we'll, we'll totally read it. Oh, hell yeah. I'd like to know why aliens should be terrified of us. Yeah. And if they want to do that, Krista, how could they? They can get in touch with us through email at Lucky10,000, all spelled out, Lucky10,000 at gmail.com, or on Twitter at Lucky underscore 10K. Excellent. And once again, thank you, Musings of a Geek, for everything you've done for us. I think you've really helped us out, and we are sad that you were gone, but to a brighter future for you. And to everyone else, I hope you got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.